This is a brief passage about the 19th century Tammany Hall politician George Washington Plunkett from the Republic for which it stands, Richard White's history of Reconstruction and the Gilded Age. Among the politicians listed in the 1894 edition of the New York Post's Tammany biographies was George Washington Plunkett. When he was in the New York State Senate in the 1880s, reformers thought Plunkett thoroughly bad, but his sins were comparatively venial. Unlike other Tammany politicians, he had not killed anybody nor bitten anyone's ear off. He was, Tammany biographies declared, in politics as a business. He has no hesitation in using his position for his private gain in the way of assisting his contracts or real estate speculations. Private gains still took precedence over public service. When Plunkett controlled the street cleaning in New York, he cleaned up, but the streets remained filthy. Plunkett was more typical Tammany politician than Gotkin's thugs. He did not deny that he made money from politics, but he was sensitive to the Post's and Parker's contention that Tammany was a collection of criminals who grew rich from protection money and bribes. That was what he called dishonest graft. He rose through honest graft. Honest graft worked the way corporations worked. It exploited insider information, used public policy for private gain, and relied on friendship. Plunkett happily admitted what his critics contended, consciously echoing the Tammany biographies he claimed, if my worst enemy was given the job in, of writing my epitaph when I'm gone, he couldn't do more than write, George W. Plunkett. He's seen his opportunities, and he took them. Tammany took care of itself by taking care of its friends. That was, he said, good politics and honest graft. Plunkett had done well, born poor in a shanty town in what would later become Central Park. He rose from a cart driver to a butcher's boy and later became a butcher. By the early 20th century, he was a millionaire through city contracts and lucrative investments, relying on insider information on city projects that would raise property values. Plunkett's sensitivity about dishonest graft thus involved his pocketbook as much as his pride. When reformers successfully made such charges, it cost the machine votes and Plunkett money. In 1894 and 1901, Tammany lost the election to reform tickets. It would recover because Plunkett contended the people, by which he meant the immigration, uh, the immigrant public, ultimately stood, uh, understood honest graft and friendship. Friendship would never hurt Tammany, since every good man looks after his friends. If I have a good thing to hand out in private life, I give it to a friend. Why shouldn't I do the same in public life? Hello from Highlands Bunker Studio, deep behind enemy lines in the shadow of Rockford Tower. This is Rob. With me, as usual, is super producer Carl. We have an absolute ripper prepared this evening. Uh, it's a story in three parts. Uh, in light of the recent personnel changes at the Nevada Democratic Party uh, and the old guard's failure to cope with those changes, we're going to speak with our Newcastle County correspondent, Jordan Pusey. She has a dramatic update on attempts to implement cultural Marxism at the representative district level. Uh, later, we'll have a fun reading series on a man whose place in history is not at all what he thinks it is. From his proud ancestral roots on the Alabama plantation, born in Easton, Maryland, the Chamber of Commerce's own Robert E. Lee Byrd, the insider's insider. We'll review Celia Cohen's transcription of his name-dropping vapid yarns in Regent Press's paperback, 
bird of a legislative hall. But first, I might need Carl's help because I, I don't know, you guys might all know, I don't know the full story about the Nevada uh, party. I know, like, so, like, I guess Bernie people took over the party apparatus, so everybody quit, and they tried to take the money with them, like a real, like, failure to cope. Like, they they, they, they were trying to cope a dope. I mean, is that basically the story? That's don't what, know, I, that's what that, I got. Yeah, I, I, I didn't know if I was missing anything or, or not. And the reason that it that it, it, it registered with me today, because it just happened over the last day or two, was because I saw a little snippet of, of internet uh, stuff going around that, okay, so it's it's been sort of an open secret that um, this leftist political insurgency project that we're doing has, has migrated um, into the Democratic Party, you know, uh, RD level. Uh, and apparently it's, it's just, it's ripping the party apart. Um, so, uh, Jordan, thank you for joining us. Hello. It's nice to, it's nice to see, uh, it's nice to see you come on, even though you just use your stock, uh, politician photo. Um, <laughs> how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm well. Um, yeah. So, so give us some background. First of all, so was this last night, the night before you went to an RD meeting? Yes, I went to my RD, the 13th, our committee meeting on March 8th. The Fighting 13th. Now, where I need in my mind when you tell this story, because I know it's going to be dramatic and make me laugh, but in my mind, I need to see the. Is this just on Zoom? Just only Zoom? Well, our former chair and our acting chair were at the Union Hall, so the local 19 in Ellesmere, okay. but everyone else was on Zoom. Last month, when we were doing the reorganization, certain members of my committee decided to have an in-person meeting um, without telling anybody and against, uh, you know, common sense that we're in the middle of a pandemic. And most of the members were either elderly um, or had the ability to use Zoom. So there was a little bit of shadiness in that, you know, 10 people meeting independently where the people online could not hear or see who was actually in the room. But yeah, the, so the 13th is Ellesmere and the surrounding area. Shady, shady. I mean, I'm not surprised about this. And it'll be interesting because the guy uh, who we're going to talk about later, uh, the Chamber of Commerce's own Bubba Bird, he's an Ellesmere guy. And I'm from over there too originally, so this is we're going to talk a lot about the the inner workings of of, of Ellesmere politics a little bit. But uh, so you have this meeting on the eighth. What what went down? Uh, what what is the drama? Spill the tea, uh, as it were, and 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 sort of clear up who's doing what and why. Well, it's kind of a long and convoluted history with my RD. Um, a lot of us joined in 2017 after the 2016 presidential um, election and that reorganization effort. Bernie said, you know, join your RDs, join your committees, get involved with the party. And we did. Um, I mean, within months of joining, um, we had our first official grievance when a member was upset that I was running for office and decided to hold an endorsement vote that night. <laughs> And the party had to overturn that. Um, ever since, it's just been like kind of chairs coming and going, 
we've never really had real agendas. We don't accomplish anything. We do no voter outreach. We do no voter contact. We don't do like base building, anything. Um, so it kind of always surprises me that people are so intensely protective of the leadership of this district when nothing gets accomplished. It's just power for the sake of power. So the la in the last year, we actually put up a progressive challenger for chair. He didn't win. The person we had um, was older. And during the pandemic, once that hit, we didn't meet from like February until June. A lot of emails went back and forth asking why we weren't meeting, why we weren't doing anything. And the chair and a, an elected councilman, you know, replied to that first concerned email with abusive language. Um, you know, just putting people down, unnecessary things. So uh, it's like a pattern of behavior with these guys. They don't get their way. They'll scream in your face. They'll call you names. Um, they make us feel as unwelcome as possible. So <laughs> last night, we have elections yet again for the leadership. That was the only item on the agenda, too. So, uh, you know, we figured straightforward, let them have it. They're, they're, they're going to, keep doing what they're doing this time. Maybe we can use the rules to get the party involved, to get them to do better. Um, well, no one ran for secretary. So Mike Matthews was nominated. He won. And we we're looking at the votes in the room. And I mean, it was going to be close either way on chair and vice chair. So when they nominated a guy who had been to one previous meeting and no experience in our party, um, turns out he was registered as an iPod party member not independent the, party of delaware yeah not an unregistered independent but the ipod party as oh. recently as 2016 yeah so he's uh -huh. a real so he's a he's a real he's a real freak yeah and not only like this guy just showed up you don't put people in leadership the first meeting you have like people should show you know they have qualifications but that aside the vote goes up i end up winning eight to seven I was actually kind of shocked. They declared me the winner. Well, Mike Spencer's daughter uh, suddenly logs in and they say, well, she wasn't on the roll to begin with. Frank, the chair, did not even have her listed as an eligible member, but it turns out she was at the reorg meeting. So they reopened the voting and allow her to vote. So as we stand, <laughs> the vote is now eight to eight. So voting was concluded, person was not present, person comes to the meeting and now is suddenly allowed to change the vote. I have a problem with that. Yeah, you think? I mean, that sound I mean, yeah, it doesn't sound good. You don't especially like it's on it's on Zoom, it's mostly remote, and then this person all of a sudden just pops in there to uh to to, to, to get a an equalizer after full time. No, nah, that's not that's that's not kosher. That's fucking it's fucked up. Everybody everybody knows that. I that that's the thing. It's when you start talking about all this corruption, we'll get to the fucking book in a little bit. But like, it's everybody knows that that's fucking that. They're, and they're, one of the things that should be pointed it. out about this person is she was once voted in a secretary and then completely abdicated her responsibilities and hasn't even showed up in over a year. A lot of members on this RD only come for votes, even though the rules prohibit it. But, you know, I guess that's our fault because we trusted what. The people in charge of the RD were saying that it was completely legitimate and didn't think to challenge that. Now I know better. I've been reading the rules for like a month now. 
that sounds <laughs> that sounds fun yeah my understanding so that you know when these things occur when they only send out an email about a meeting 24 hours beforehand we can file a grievance because you only have 10 days to file it. well okay so issue number one issue number two we get to the election for chair i mean we nominated uh, a progressive they nominated the acting chair, now former, now current chair, Frank Stevens. They, uh, they give their little speeches. Um, those who made the motions to nominate and second were asked to give, you know, our opinions, which, you know, we stated our, our concerns over the leadership in the last year and that we need a new, we need a new, you know, change like we need a new leader we need a lot we need to be more active we need to be recruiting things like that and then it was time for questions for the candidates so <laughs> dustin asked what they plan to do to bring in new memberships and be more active in the community this is our friend dustin thompson from uh sierra club and and our, our he's a he's a, a friend of of the show yeah and dustin's always been that like moral voice of reason in most of our groups he's not hot-headed you know no no he's actually very level-headed he's sort of like he's scared well it scares me because i'm real hyper i'm, I'm like you are uh Jordan. yeah i'm terrible but like like when you're when you have a conversation with carl and you're like i'm freaking out and carl's like maybe everybody should just uh just chill out a little bit yeah. you know, it's like that's a kind of it's 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 i don't understand it it's outside the realm of my thinking but yeah well there anyway, are dustin's dustin's like that yeah yeah, Dustin is the only person like that in our RD. So, um, you know, Justin gives his answer, which is, you know, what he plans to do. Well, we get to Frank, and I guess he was mad. I, you know, I guess it's easy to be defensive when your leadership is questioned. But the response to the question was to be like, first off, all you progressives do is whine and bitch and moan. Correct. Yes, that's right. Um, we also organize, but that's that's that, he's not talking about that though. No, because we organized campaigns outside of the district and not in our district. Well, in the last year, we didn't even meet till June. We got one email asking to volunteer for Spiros and Larry on election day as poll readers. That was the only volunteer opportunity given within our district. Larry Mitchell was unopposed. Spiros was running against Anthony Del Colo. And I put a sign in my yard. I supported him, but I was never contacted to volunteer. I'm not chasing down candidates. Um, and I think it's more important. Well, it's just as important. I mean, flipping the district is important, but the quality of candidates and the people that progressives supported, I have no regrets supporting those candidates. They needed to get into office. And the anger from the old guard at tearing the party apart by supporting these people that all we do is make demands and we can't compromise. I mean, he screamed, yes, I mean, like he screamed profanities. He insulted people personally. And then he accused us of making fun of the previous chair for having cancer. No one knew this man had cancer, you know, and it was just and then, you know, so he's going off. Finally, he stops Mike Matthews, who he had made allegations against goes to rebut him and is talking to making some very valid points. He mutes him. And then when people asked him if he muted Michael, he laughed and denied it. Just like, it, it was just like a mess. 
Jesus but, uh, Christ. Yeah. It just seems so, it's like, so like, a, a, as we were talking about before, I think even before you came hey, on, hey, but like, here's the, here's the thing. Oh yes. Nine people voted for that. Nine people said, you know what, that kind of behavior towards members of our own committee who have been here, who actually show up to meetings, it's okay to talk to them like that. It made me feel unwelcome. There are people that were at the meeting for the first time that were like, what is this? What is going on? Even people who have been involved before were just well, like, I, mean, I hate to be cynical because that's always what I do. But I mean, their their goal is to drive those people away. They don't want active people. They want, you know, their own little, you know, it's not that it's not even that big of a deal. Like you said, they don't even really have to do anything, but have but be able to call their daughter when the votes close to so somebody comes and votes. Like, yeah, and they don't and really fucking previously. care. They don't want those people. We've never had a full committee. And anytime someone showed up, usually a buddy of Ken Woods or Larry's or somebody, they were immediately, they said, I want to be on the committee. They were voted on that day. Well, Monday night, all of a sudden, Ken and Larry are very concerned about new people. And how can we trust them? And they, on the floor without previous notice, decided that we're going to make a rule that you have to attend three meetings before you can join new rule yeah a new rule because um even though the county and state party rules say that loyalty oaths and tests of membership are not allowed we are testing membership and intentionally disenfranchising people who want to join this committee a committee with nine vacancies so it, it's kind of ironic well two of the there was three people there that did not make reorganization um, they allowed two of those people to be voted in because of previous history. They never even offered the third person an opportunity to speak. Um, and it, it's just, that's the kind of gatekeeping nonsense that keeps people from joining the party. Like you don't feel welcome. They obviously, like, oh, you have to come to these meetings where we literally accomplish nothing. We just sit around and stare at each other and they usually last like 30 minutes. Yeah, really. I, I it's a it's a protection it's it's just a it's, it's just, like a club yeah it's a way it's a way to run interference for a small little tiny apparatus of the party yeah like that's all like i i i and i just want to say this and then i'll let you finish i, I respect all of you guys out there like trying to go this route like this is something that activists say all the time it's a good way to organize like your community to go through the party and try to do it. And, and, and there's been political gains that way too, obviously. Um, but like for, for the stakes, uh, for, for all the shit that you guys have to fucking put up with from these local yokel fucking nobodies. Like I, I respect the fuck out of you if you're going to fight in these fights. Cause I fight stupid fights myself. Uh, yeah. I mean, but it's but, completely but, unnecessary to be abusive towards people that aren't on your same team when they just want more out of, the party and part of being in an RD committee is to base vote. That's the entire purpose. So if you're doing that, if you're not doing that, why? Why are you even in existence? But I mean, think about I could have I, like I've we've been really trying to get progressives involved just in the party, not even in leadership if they don't want to be. But how in good faith and conscience can I bring new people to meetings like that and have them witness that? If that was my first interaction with the Democratic Party, I would turn around and not look back. 
Unfortunately, yeah. I've been conditioned to the abusive nature of these men in my RD. And it is always men. It's not the female members that are like this. No, yeah, they're conditioned to be able to. It's a bullying. They're using bullying tactics to protect, you know, whatever small gears of the operation that you would be able to utilize to do organizing, um, to, to, to tr work on other projects, um, to build, you know, build lists of people who want to work on campaigns maybe or whatever. All the different things you want to do, they don't they want to make sure that they, they don't they don't want to do those. And so it's it's so uh, frustrating uh, to see it. But I, I feel like that's what it is. It is. And, you know, we did work in our district. Uh, the county executive race was countywide. The U.S. Senate yeah. race is statewide. So we did plenty of work in our district. And if Frank is so concerned about it, I will be happy to personally volunteer my time, my money and my energy to help a progressive challenger for Larry Mitchell and for Ken Woods. Because you know what? Both of them are okay with abusive behavior towards fellow members of our RD. So maybe they shouldn't be in office anymore. You know, maybe those aren't the kind of people that we need representing us. I, I, I know that there's more to come. I know that you're going to make a, an official statement uh, about this. Uh, what I would like uh, is for you to um, talk a little bit about that while I nip off and get a little more wine before we talk about this Bob Bird book. Talk about what? I'm just going to file a grievance with the party. I'm not going to get into all of that. I mean, you basically uh, okay. know what happened. Yeah, right. just okay. got to, you know, focus it on what's relevant, what actually is timely, which is the behavior, the vote changing and the disenfranchisement. So uh, the book, uh, such as it is, um, and I know you guys have so it's it's basically a series of stories, and and Carl has read this, and and I I hope he clarifies if I'm not explaining something properly. It's a series of stories that this drunk guy would tell you at the Brandywine Brewing Company at 11 p.m. on a Thursday. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like he's in a bad suit that barely fits. He's sweating. He's telling. He's yeah. Like, whatever. Like, and based on the, the, the number of times that he mentions drinking, whiskey, beer, Anheuser-Busch, yada, yada, and so on, like, I'm pretty sure he wouldn't, like, Bird would not care, would not dispute this description. Like, this is what it is. Uh, and even, like, it's, the, the, it's, it's, it, the construction is that it's as told to Celia Cohen. So it's like, you know, it, the prose is absolute dog shit. But like I, I I'm not gonna cr I'll, I'll leave the critique of that to one side because I don't know what she was doing. I mean, her, my only cr criticism of Celia Cohen is like the only thing worse than a name dropping star fucker is a, the the name drop dropping star fuckers glowing admirer. You know, like that's weird. It's bad enough to just be like not have any real feeling other than just to be near, like just to have Bill Clinton sign your your bicep or whatever. And so, like, it's just weird. Um, but it's definitely a hegiography fit for every elementary school library in the three counties, for sure. I'm sure, I'm sure it's been donated to those. Um, and we also will not consider uh, Chris Coons' foreword. There is a one-page foreword from Chris Coons. I, I don't have the mental space to even 
Oh like, yeah. <laughs> I know. Like I saw I'm that. Have and I have like, now. Damn it. No, I, I don't. Uh, you know, I've, my, I. It's my understanding that they sell these in the cafeteria of Leg Hall. Just steal one. So here's the introduction, and and and, and Jordan, you weren't here when I read the other piece, but um, people that have heard it, and it'll come uh, as as no surprise. So this is the introduction to the book. A hundred years ago, George Washington Plunkett spun a great insider tale of American politics. You know George Washington Plunkett. He was part of Tammany Hall gang, the democratic political machine that ran New York City. He was famous for his political philosophy, which was, I seen my opportunities and I took them. Plunkett told his tale to William uh, uh, Riordan, a newspaperman for New York City, and he wrote up Plunkett's story in a 1905 book called Plunkett of Tammany Hall. A hundred years ago is long ago. A hundred years, years is long ago. Nobody rents spittoons for political rallies anymore. Women vote now. It's high time for someone else to spill some secrets of modern American politics. In the spirit of George Washington Plunkett, here comes Robert Lee Byrd. Byrd is every bit the political insider that Plunkett was. Birdie has spent more than 40 years in Legislative Hall, Delaware's State House in Dover, he was there as a Democratic legislator. He is still there as a lobbyist. He never met a deal he did not want to make or a political yarn he could not top. This thing is fucking garbage. So the way I want to kick this off um, is, is, is like this. And I, and I want to get your, your thoughts on this. I sort of put this together the first time I, I read through it. So... On page seven, he talks about um, sort of his connection, how he got to Delaware, because that's always big, like Delaware, where'd you go to high school sort of thing. So the question becomes, his, his father's family's from Alabama, and he was born in, in Maryland, in the Eastern Shore. But it says, who was, my, who was the first family member in Delaware? It was my uncle Ben Long, Company C, 9th Alabama, Wilcox Brigade, Longstreet's Corps, the Army of Northern Virginia. He fought at the Battle of Gettysburg, got captured, and came to Fort Delaware as a prisoner in 1863. Guy's a fucking traitor. Okay, look, I'm not gonna... What your family does back then, that's whatever. He, he didn't have any control, but again, this is what we have. <clears throat> I have a distant cousin who was a congressman from Alabama in the 1890s. His name was Jesse Francis Stallings. My grandfather, my grandfather, and one of my uncles were county commissioners in Alabama, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, they all. His whole family. His mom ran when she was in Pennsylvania, and then it ends. Alabama, Maryland, Pennsylvania, and mom in Delaware. I really do come from a long line of political activists from four different states, but if they came from all around, they were polit politically pure. All Democrats. All Democrats. Now, the Democrat in 1890 uh, in Alabama... Dixiecrat. I mean, not even a Dixiecrat. That's just straight up, like, they're, 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 they're burning Freeman's bureaus and shit. That's bad news. So, okay. But again, <clears throat> again, I... I, I I'm not going to uh, put the sins of the father on the son, whatever, whatever. I, I get that. <clears throat> he seems a little proud of it, which is a little strange. Maybe because he didn't like, he doesn't understand the history of Plunkett. He doesn't understand the history of this. Okay, maybe he's not a historian. That's fine. 
What's his name again? Robert E. Lee Bird. No, it's Robert Lee Bird. His middle his name is Robert Lee. So that was page seven, his sort of like background. If you go if you go fully, fully forward, uh, 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 70 pages to page 77, he talks about uh, he only served one or two terms in the house and then he was he was uh, he, he was beaten. And this is a story about that. And he said, I also ran into some trouble. This is page 78. Gwyn Smith, the Republican representative who was an environmentalist made an allegation that I had taken a bribe on the bottle bill, which is some bullshit he was working on, to oppose it. As a result of that, I was investigated by the FBI. Okay. <clears throat> so this is getting good. There's always a thing in here, too, like an environmentalist is a type. He uses, like, just basic types. Like the Republicans then were DuPont environmentalists. Anyway. <clears throat> the FBI told me that Gwyn's words were, quote, you can't feel this passionately about what is bad public policy unless you're taking a payoff. The FBI looked up my skirts pretty well. They had their suspicions, but there was nothing wrong. You ready for the explanation? Hold on to your fucking hats. <clears throat> there were suspicions because there were some unusual checks that I received from my timber in Alabama. It looked like it could have been a bribe. I inherited farmland, still have it, from my grandfather's estate. It was in timber. Every now and then I would cut timber down there and I would get a check, usually for three, four, five thousand dollars. This fucking guy inherited a farm from Alabama. I mean, I, look, just fucking saying it. And so that this story takes place in 1978. Even if we go low, we'll lowball it. We'll say one check for $3,000. When he said numerous checks here, there, everywhere. $3,000 in 1978 is, I looked up at the, the, uh, the inflation rate, is $12,000 in today's money. <clears throat> and he was just like, yeah, sometimes three, four, five grand, whatever. I mean, they looked into it. We got it from the old plantation. <laughs> this is this guy. He goes to, he, he, he goes to some length to talk about how he's like a union man because everything's a type there's like environmentalist type there's he's a bunch of times in here he talks about league of women voters type he just uses that as like a, i'm supposed to know what fucking type that like ladies like the ladies who come to the like like i don't know even know what that means um do-gooders the do-gooders are bad actually not good it's they're called do-gooders but they're his opponents which is sort of telling i don't that seems kind of weird but <clears throat> To, just to give you an example, here's an example of the shit he, he name drops, and then he gets into it. Uh, there were also, this is that bottle bill I was talking about. It's about deposit bottles. It, it just, it's, it, and again, now today, because we have single stream recycling, it's absolutely irrelevant. But it, it, was just, it made his bones. It doesn't even matter. There were also some major Democrats who were opposed to the bottle bill, like Lex Beinard. Uh, he had been a lieutenant governor, and he was big in the party. Everybody's big in the party. He's, he was big, big, big time, big time in the party. His family had been involved in Delaware politics going all the way back to the Constitutional Congress. There were five Byards who were U.S. senators, which is a national record for one family. Lex ran for Senate in 1952, but did not make it. Lex was a lawyer. 
It would be wrong to call him a lobbyist, but he lobbied in the old way of the Wilmington attorneys. They took retainers, and they called the legislators on the phone, and Lex had the U.S. Brewers Association. Because all those people were against it, and I was not an environmentalist, I said, give me the bill. I can take care of it. If I could not kill the bill outright, I could cut its guts out. I made an art out of that. Like, for what? So, you tell me what reason. He, I mean, he tells the story about this guy he knew that was very important. But, like, for what reason did he, did he start to do this? I have no clue. Guy's a fucking weirdo. Absolute psychopath. Did he get lots of donations out of it? Oh yeah, I mean it's all about it's all about just squeezing money out of like the old school unions, like the like the iron workers, like the what would Marx call like the the the, the fancy unions, like the trades, the trade unions and stuff like that. Um, but again, with this guy, and now that he's been now that he's padded his pockets from the Chamber of Commerce, when we try to organize the Amazon uh, warehouses, you think he's going to be pro union? Think he's going to be a labor man? I bet you he's not. Yeah, he probably has no real feelings on anything. It's whatever they can make money off of. Yeah. I mean, hey, you're going to grift, do it well. I mean, he's definitely, again, there's no question about that. The guy has, 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 he's a, he's, he's conquered the small pond here. No, no fucking doubt. Hey, you want to hear something really, really kind of just, again, I get the feeling from reading this that like, you know, there's people you, that you know, and I know we all know them. And I, and I said the thing about Italians before, so I guess I have to like this is this is my mea culpa about being a, an American of Italian descent. Like you know those guys who see Goodfellas and they're like, ah, it's fucking cool. Yeah, those guys are just chilling, doing doing schemes, you know, making money, just doing road trips. Like dudes rock. You're like, those guys are killers. Those guys are criminals. Like it's not it's not cool. This book is like that. Those people. Like he's telling the story. Like, it's cool. And you're like, dude, this isn't cool, man. This is a weirdo stuff. I'll give you an example. <clears throat> Let me find it here. I got it all marked up. Page 11. This is good. Of course, you know, he has to drop names about who he knows and how he got the shit that he got. Right? In 1969, I had left college and was reclassified over the Christmas holidays. I immediately got noticed to go to Philadelphia for a physical in early January of 1970, and I did that, and I passed, and I was pretty sure I was going bye-bye. I was looking at my options. I went to see Mr. Frank Vavila, who was one of the Ellesmere political types. Everything's a type, right? Frank was a Republican, or a bipartisan, as we called them. We called Republicans bipartisans in Ellesmere, which was very Democratic. Everything's like a repeat. It has to re-explain everything. Frank was the director of the state of state unemployment, and he was also a lieutenant colonel in the Delaware National Guard. He said, well, it might be your lucky day. Delaware uh, Army Guard was being reorganized from armor, which is tanks, to signal, which is communications, in the first quarter of 1970, and was going to open up 60 or 75 new slots. I had an Army induction notice for March the 12th, and I put my hand up and got into the Delaware National Guard on the 26th of February, uh, one of my company commanders was Frank Vavila Jr., who went on to be the adjunct general of the Delaware National Guard. Now, again, like the first thing with the, with the Confederacy, I, I'm not somebody who said he should have gone to fucking Vietnam. That's crazy. Uh, if I have any, you know, the only time you go to Vietnam is to fight for Ho Chi Minh. But uh, 
and, and this was a way that you could not go. So I, I, I got, I, I can't, my judgment here is, is very tempered. <clears throat> but again, you go forward 31 pages, right? So now he's working, there's some kind of budget problem, right? And uh, the, 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 the governor is going to bring the General Assembly to a special session. I don't even know, this might have been the last time we did it. 75 it was. So here's what happens. At that point, we knew the tax bill was not going to happen. We all had made fools of ourselves for nothing. There was another time, though, when I was able to be the 21st vote for Sherman. It all, all it took was a National Guard, National Guard helicopter to deliver it. The state finances were still not in good shape, and the legislature had to go into a special session in August of 75 to raise taxes. Now, I was still in the National Guard, and I was in the National Guard from February 1970 to February 1976. And I was away for two weeks of summer camp in Fort Bragg, which was in North Carolina, when it was time for the special session. I don't know why you don't just say Fort Bragg, North Carolina. That's a whole, again, Celia, I'm not getting into it. <clears throat> Mom was still working at the governor's office. She got a message to me to call the governor's office. This was before cell phones, beepers, and all of that, so I found a payphone and called, and Sherman took the call, the governor. <clears throat> this was two or three days before the special session. He said, we're going into special session. I need your vote. I need you back in Dover. I said, I can't leave. I'm on active duty. Sherman did not see a, this as a problem. The governor is in charge of the National Guard, so he figured he could get me out of there. So Sherman called people, but maybe he did not call the right people, or maybe he called the wrong people, but uh, the battalion commander said, you're not going anywhere. Right? <clears throat> I was a corporal. My job uh, was to make sure that the generators had gas, so all I was doing was filling up generators, drinking beer, and playing a little cards. Uh, the defense of the free world was not going to be at stake if I missed a day of summer camp to go to Dover. Well, then a major comes in, he goes, I have no clue who you are, uh, but I've been told you need to be ready to put, be put in a helicopter at 4 a.m. So they chopper him from Fort Bragg to Dover to be the 21st vote for Sherman to pass some kind of fucking tax uh, thing in, in, the, in, the, in the 75 special session. Like, this guy thinks that's a good story. He thinks that's cool to do. Like, he does. He tells that story to people in bars, and they're just like... What the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, I don't... I was going back over this today, and then I saw what, like, the thing that went, that you had to go through, Jordan, at the fucking RD meeting, and I'm like, it's all the same shit. Rules are for other people. It's, it, it's, it's absolutely, uh, just, just sick. But let, let me give you one more, and then we'll talk it out, because I, I, I had to find one... <clears throat> Let me see if I find a, a good one. A real, like, a, a real humdinger of, like, name-dropping nonsense. Uh, this is good, because he's talking about, he worked for Ruth Ann Minner, and he's trying to figure out, like, what Republicans are going to run ag against, uh, uh, against her. <clears throat> so it's, like, John Burris, this is, like, uh, 92, I think. John Burris, um... Bill Lee, who was the, the, he talks about him being the judge for the uh, Capano murder and all that. That's a f disgusting display on his part, but in any case, <clears throat> gets to the end. It says, so that left Burris and Bill Lee, and Bill Lee was not going to get out of the way for Burris. I found out that, uh, I found that out for sure when I went to Winterthur Point to Point, the famous steeplechase race in Chateau Country, which is where the DuPonts live. 
that's that's it's, it's in there. Which is where the Duponts live in northern Delaware. You have to put that in. <clears throat> this was in early May of 2000, right before the Republican Senate convention, where they could endorse a candidate. I was in the news journal box. That's a sentence in here. I was in the news journal box. Bill Lee was there too, and and we had a conversation. We were talking politics, obviously, and I kind of asked him what he was doing. He said, it doesn't matter how I do it at the convention because I'm taking it to the primary. I said, nah, Bill, you don't mean that. He said, no matter what happens, I'm taking it to the primary. I knew right then that Ruth Ann was going to be the governor. I mean, it's all about him talking about, like, one time J.P. Getty called him because of the fucking refinery in Delaware City, which is a city on the Delaware River, which he brings that up. Like, it's it's actually, a, a, it's very creepy, to be perfectly frank. Again, when I listen to, like, stories of what goes on and how they treat people who work for them, when I hear stories about how they have their little minions defending the smallest RD from any activity. Not, not bad activity, just activity. Like, hey, let's go out and talk to the fucking people here. Uh, let's try to organize them. Uh, let's, you know, try to make people's lives better, see who's having problems, you know, whatever. I mean, just to install like eight people in fucking Ellesmere to block any organizing advocacy or activism at all is psychopathic and i get off my soapbox you guys can reflect on that that little lesson you have in, in bird of legislative hall you should see some of the fucking photos in here Whew. you're gonna have to let me borrow a copy and then i'll, I'll keep my copy of rebel with a conscience handy so that I can cleanse my my brain after reading it with some Russell Peterson. Man, yeah, he he fucking shits on Russ Peterson in here, by the way. Oh, I'm sure he does. Uh, the way right he on describes him. environmentalists, I can only imagine. Oh yeah, because it's funny he 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 doesn't describe anything that Peterson uh, like did. He's just like the, I, I can't find the chapter, but it's like when I got there, the budget was a mess. Russ Peterson's fault. Like, why? What does that what does that mean? Like, I don't even know what that means. Like, he just, that's how the story, that's how it starts. I'm like, okay. You know, it's fucking nonsense. But the name dropping, oh, here it is. Delaware was not in great shape. This is chapter five incoming. Delaware was not in great shape when I was elected. The finances were terrible. Russ Peterson, the Republican governor who was in there before Sherman Tibbet, Tibbet, Tribbet, bungled the budget. And the state went into the red. It was so bad that everyone found out about it. On the day everyone found out about it was known as Black Monday. Like, come on, buddy. This guy's getting this guy's getting twelve thousand dollar checks from his fucking plantation in Alabama. Worrying about fuck this guy. Yeah, it's all name dropping and and like. And just, again, there's so many instances. I mean, I'll tell you that the, the, the copy that I hold in my hands has passed through many hands. Um, Super producer Carl has, has had it in his hands and has read the words that are on the pages. I'm very interested to know what, what Carl's final take on this is because we, while we talked about it in the abstract, like because we, you know, we shared this book, 
Um, we, we've never talked about it now that we've both sort of finished it because we knew we were going to do this, produce this podcast, so we never really talked about it. So I, I, what, what, what is your take? I mean, it shows that the Delaware way isn't really any sort of moral code. Like, it's not... I wouldn't even say that it's evil or immoral. It's just strictly... And, I mean, Bob Bird is, you know, maybe kind of just the most prominent example of this. But it's not... It's not even politics. It's just transactions. Um and I think it's important to note that, yeah, everything in there is about a deal that he made or a guy that he met, which is almost Trumpian, which I kind of find that kind of funny. Um, it is very, it's very Trumpian. Absolutely. But it's, yeah, when he has policy disagreements with people, it's not any sort of deep felt belief. It's just that like, oh, that's what he's working on right now. And he's going against, um, but, oh, you know, afterwards, you know, they respect each other. They have a beer. Um, or a few beers afterwards. Um, and yeah, I think that's important to realize because, yeah, the do-gooders, the environmentalists, those are kind of the enemies of the story because they bug up the deals. Um, and I think at the end of the day, that's kind of what it's all about, is that it's an oiled machine that it basically funnels money from the poor people, the working people, into you know, these corporate coffers, that's the whole point of Delaware. And this is just one of the pieces of machinery that does that. Mm. And that that's why one extent or the other, that's why all this happens. Um, and obviously we're organizing to change that. You know, we're, we're the do-gooders today. Um, there were probably the people he does not like very much. Though, and the reason, I, I, I don't hate Bob Bird. I've never, I've also never met him. Um, but like you get a pretty good sense of who he is based on this book. I don't hate him. Uh, like he seems like a guy that, you know, if you met him in a bar, it'd be like, maybe not my favorite person to talk to, but he wouldn't be like an asshole. But theoretically, that is what we're up against. Um, and it's not evil. It's just banal. But I guess sometimes those are the same things. Yeah. I mean, uh, I thought I thought about just that because we, we talk about on this podcast all the time about capitalist realism and not having like the imagination that things can ever be like, this is the, the reason he's proud of it is because this is the only thing people know. They're like, Ooh, you were in the, in the news journal box with, with Bill Lee. Wow. Like this is what people know. People think this is how this is the net. People think this is the state of nature. Like they thought the the divine right of kings was the state was the state of nature, and it isn't. It is not. And so any threat to do anything is going to be met with uh, what Jordan was met with at the fucking RD meeting. Like people don't even they don't uh, they can't grasp the idea that like yes we you know uh, we know what the Delaware way is. It's not that we don't understand these stories. We know why. Everybody knows why. You know, it's not complicated. Our project is to tear down this with every tool at our disposal. The people holding it together at all costs, I think it's, it's, Carl made it it's banal. It's just simple. Uh, our movement is uh, about, uh, isn't about like powerful friends, like you're doing deals. 
Um, I mean, I don't even have to make an. I think, like Carl said, like 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 him or not like him, like I don't think you need to make an explicit value judgment. It's just it's trite. It's, well, it's, it's, it, another thing I do want to point out, and the part part you didn't mention, but I found very interesting, was when he initially ran for office in I think was it seventy four or seventy two. I think it was 72. I'd have to, I'd, okay. I mean, uh, yeah. Um, and he details how he got the nomination. And I don't remember word for word because I don't have the book in front of me, but basically he called the nine people that control the Democratic nomination, um, which is, I think, essentially the RD committee of the day. I don't know exactly how that worked, but he called the nine people. Uh, he buddied up with them. And so he got the Democratic nomination. So he became the representative. And that's another thing where it's like, okay, that's how it usually has worked in Delaware is that, you know, a guy who knows a guy, you have these connections, you know, you went to squash, I don't know, whatever rich people do um, with these people. This guy wasn't um, playing any squash. I'll tell you, he that. was probably not playing squash. Yeah. This guy wasn't playing fucking anything. I mean, I, if you guys um, don't know, I'm not probably, I'm not speaking out of school. This guy is a, a, a very, he's, he would, what we'd be, he would, what we would call now morbidly obese guys, uh, very sweaty. But like his mom was involved in the Democratic Party, uh, I think actually ran against Joe Biden for the county council because, of course. Um, but yeah, so it's a way of politics that has just been the way things get done up until very recently. Um, like if you look at a lot of people who are in office right now, that's how they got there was that they knew the right people. They already put them forward and they're kind of following that line of they're going to go from this to this to this. Um, and I think the 2020 primary has shown that that isn't how it has to be. Um, if you actually believe in something, if you're actually willing to organize, if you want to get more people involved, we can have elections. We can run on issues and we can win. Um, and that's not impossible. And then the trick is to actually govern like that too, which we're going to see if that's possible. I have hopes for that. I don't know if it's going to actually happen. I've been disappointed before, but that's just, you know, things can change. And I think that is sort of the antidote to that entire book. I just want to show you guys, you guys can't see it, but this is, uh, this is Bob Bird and his, and his daughter, who's also a lobbyist and, and Ruth Ann Minner. Let's see if I can show you guys that. Can you see that? Look at that fucking thing. What a disgrace. But yeah, I mean, be just friends. Be ready um, to deal with this kind of stuff because, um, as we heard tonight, nobody they they want to they they don't want any activity. You know, they want the 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 machine to run as it is. And if you if you if you say that you don't, it's like, well, what do you mean? This is how this this is how what we do here. Uh, we don't. Uh, we're we're not going to anymore, and um, you know I hope that I hope that some of these folks can cope, can work on their coping mechanisms, um, because the treatment like that Jordan got it or RD, not not appropriate. Um, all of the Democratic Party staffers quitting in, in Nevada, not, it's just it's kind of it's like it's immature, like you're not you got to fucking hold, try to hold yourself together. Uh, because we're coming, uh, and, and and you know, don't embarrass yourselves. You can get out of the way if you want to, but this is ha this is happening. And we we've compromised and worked with them for 
years were always told to be the better person and to go along and get along, and they will absolutely not do it. And the funny thing is, organizing at this level would only benefit them as well. Well, again, I don't know if I, I don't, I don't know if I agree with that. Like their interests. If their interest is having power over the governorship and the houses, I mean, it really shouldn't matter to them who the Democrat is, and that they're more registered Democrats. That would—that's what they should be worried about, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I, I understand that, and I understand the words you're saying, and in theory, yeah, I mean, well, I guess that's why you have to question it, right? Like, if if you're a Democrat, whatever the fuck that means, I don't even know what that means, but if, if that's what you are, if you're so um, invested in not wanting people like these progressives you want to do stuff like why do you want to do stuff why are you why are you why are you f trying to support these candidates who like want to be what you are but actually just are, have better ideas or different ideas or want to solve some of the problems that are there in a different way like that's what you're saying i i, th I don't think they think that way like if they had if they had uh you know some sort of goal in mind if they believed in something they wouldn't act this way I don't believe that they believe in anything other than the running other than it running like a business like 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 Plunkett like the way that GW Plunkett ran Tammany Hall the way it ran like we make we skim a little off the top because we have a little power to whatever level we're on the power and we just continue to make everything run the way that it's running we have a couple whiskeys afterwards at the fucking Columbus Inn, and we listen to this fat guy tell stories about how he once took a call from J.P. Getty. That's it. That's that's the, the people's imagination ends at that. That's their that's their cutoff, I think. And that's what that's that's the project to convince people that when people go in and try to actually do something, try to be more active, try to help more people, have have an agenda. We have a fucking agenda. Just, we should not be we should not uh, be uh, a secret about it, and we should not be ashamed of it. Friends, thank you very much for joining us. Um, I I got off on a little bit of a tangent. I, I I suppose that that Carl will 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 craft this beautiful episode into just just a, a jaffer, just one that's just going to bowl you up and down. Um, if you're interested in our work and you want to support it, you know where to go. Patreon.com slash The Highlands Bunker. Uh, we're on Twitter at Highlands Bunker. And keep a lookout on Delaware Call stuff because slowly but surely uh, we're, we're upsetting people. Uh, just, like all, just like all the stories we told tonight of people not being able to cope. Believe me, uh, the, the work we're doing at the Delaware Call is... is, is, is is resonating in a way where people uh, are overdosing on copium, for absolute sure. And Jordan, uh, thanks for thanks for going out and doing like the technical stuff and like reading the bylaws and shit and holding people to it because that would drive me absolutely batshit crazy. <laughs> You're very welcome. Someone's got to do it in this RV just to keep things rolling. I mean, that's all we want is a functioning organization. Is that so much to ask? I mean, maybe, but we, 
We got you, though, for real. Uh, everybody, keep in mind, when we started this podcast, just a little uh, little highlight, uh, we talked about Lula Livre, and we were trying to get Lula out of prison because he was a political prisoner in Brazil. Uh, just yesterday, uh, he was cleared of all the bullshit charges. So not only has Lula been Livre'd, he is now cleared to re-enter the political arena. And uh, and guess what? Guess what? Yeah, Bolsonaro's on the run. So, you know, it's a long game. It's not it's not just about, like, one thing, one election, one this, one that, you know, one RD meeting. It's a long game. Stay with it because we got them. We got them on the run. They're having trouble coping. They can't deal. They're acting like babies. And it's fun. Jump on board for the big win. Everyone, thanks again. Left is best. <laughs>